Welcome to Always Authors, the literary podcast that presents two authors in candid conversation. On this episode, we're excited to bring you Kelly Sue DeConnick, legendary comic book writer of DC's Aquaman, and most recently, DC's Wonder Woman Historia, The Amazons. Kelly Sue is joined by Adrian Mayer, research scholar in the history of science and classics at Stanford University, and renowned author of numerous titles, including The Amazons, Lives and Legends of Warrior Women Across the Ancient World. They'll discuss their work, creative process, and passions. What could superheroes, the myth of a female utopia, and sex at Aphrodite's shrine have in common? More than you know. Inspiration starts now. Kelly Sue, I am just blown away that you invited me to talk with you today. I'm really excited. I've gone through the PDF of Historia of the Amazon several times, once with my husband, just to see what he would think about it, and he was blown away too. Oh, We've been yeah. fans of graphic novels and comics uh, since before you were born, so uh, <laughs> this is really a thrill for me. Thank you. Uh, I'm so excited. You. So I, I would love to tell the the story of I, I got the invitation to um, to do this podcast, and um, I've, I've had kind of a embarrassment of riches, we'll, we'll say, uh, this year in that um, uh, I ended up um, with more work than I'm really able to comfortably handle. And I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to frame that for myself as, no, that is a good thing. <laughs> uh, but really, it's a series of poor choices. But yeah. anyway, um, uh, so when I was invited to do this podcast, I was like, you know, I really need to be better about saying no. But they mentioned that they were, that the, the model was that they would pair people up for conversations. And, uh, and so I was like, well, if you can get Adrian Mayer, I'll do it. <laughs> and I thought, that's not going to happen. So I just got out of it. And then they were like, Okay, she's really excited. I was like, what? <laughs> so it was very exciting. Well, this is just really serendipitous. Um, so I, I should also say that I, I became aware of your work when I was starting my research for Historia, um, which is a, it's a DC comic um, about the, the, the version that's out right now, the, the book, book one that's out right now is... Um, the birth of the Amazons, and um, you know this isn't historical Amazons, and it's not mythological Amazons because it's the DC mythology. But I wanted to be well versed in all of those things in order to decide what aspects would best serve my story. And uh, as I reached out to Mike Cole, because I, I he is a kind of uh, expert in my mind on classical armies and warriors. Mike Cole on Twitter, yes. Yes. Yes, and, I'm a friend of um, his on Twitter too, yeah. Yes, and then, yes. I, so I reached out to him and he was like, oh, here's what you need to read. <laughs> um, and so uh, he gave me the title of your book and that was, I think, the first one that I picked up to begin my research and I was immediately captivated. Thank you. But I'm I'm so impressed with the way you've been able to distill real mythology and the and real history. Um, you've got Herodotus and Thucydides in there. It's just amazing. And the way 
I, just the way you have uh, retold the stories and recast all of the goddesses, I love it. It's just, um, you're so knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. You must have done incredible research. I'm just really uh, mightily impressed. Uh, well, thank you very much. I think, you know, it's been, and I, I suspect, and I would love to hear this story. I, I, this has been an interest for me since I was very young. Um, uh, and I, I think it's almost come full circle because I, I think my way into mythology and then from mythology into ancient literature was first through uh, Wonder Woman. But I was quite young. I read Agamemnon in fourth grade, which is a weird choice. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think, you know, that it was... This predates the internet. My father was in the Air Force, so we lived in Germany. We didn't get American television, so I read mm -hmm. voraciously. And um, because I was in a DOD school, um, a Department of Defense school, um, it was really small classes. And I was in a group that did a lot of self-led studies and so I was really interested. You were an independent scholar even then. Yeah I guess so <laughs> yes so I was really interested and um uh and they they let me pursue it. I, I did a um uh I did a scene with sock puppets. I performed a scene from this. Agamemnon? Yes so you know totally completely fourth grade appropriate. <laughs> Um, that sounds fabulous. Uh, mean, meanwhile, in uh, well, w long before that, I was into little Lulu comics because she always got the best of the boys, and yes. I thought that was really wonderful. That's what, something I wanted to talk to you about in uh, in the Historia and the story of the Amazons. Is that I'm obsessed, uh, in, especially in comes through in my in my book, the Amazons. I'm obsessed with equality and egalitarianism mm -hmm. rather than. Um, War between the sexes. Yes, but uh, I think I've heard you in other interviews talking about how uh, no drama is fine for real life, but uh, but when you're doing comic books, you need drama, and yeah. so uh, superheroes and these and your story of the Amazons is about revenge, and I think we're both seeking justice. But I I was I'm really take I, I'm really captivated by the way you're uh, using. Using up, making up this backstory for the Amazons as all of the women who have been treated so unjustly, and the way you uh, you just really uh, you really name names and uh, call out <laughs> everything—it's just fabulous. And the way the art uh, uses uh, the vase paintings was also incredible. So I wanted to ask you, how much do you uh, do you consult with the artists about what the images are? Oh. Because your so, writing has to be so uh, terse and concise. Uh, there must be so much that goes into your discussions of the art. Yeah, so the the, the script is not concise. <laughs> Poor <laughs> Phil. The script is verbose. Um, uh, yeah. But, so the smallest portion of the script is the dialogue that makes it to the page. Um, right. And then for a book like this, and I, I think with all comic books, and everybody kind of has a different philosophy about this, but for me, I always say, if I want to be God, I'll write a novel. Um, and <laughs> a comic is a conversation. It's a 
it's a collaborative conversation between the artist and the writer. And it, it really, it, now this is in this model where there's a, a different writer and artist. There's another model where one person does the whole thing. And that's, that's very different. That's your God again. Right. But in this case, it's, um, uh, it, it's Phil and I both bringing our ideas and then responding to one another in a, such a way that a third authorial voice develops. And I like to think about it in the same way that there's a third channel of story because you have, you know, because a comic is static, right? You, you have, you have the words and you have the pictures. There's no motion. It's, you know, it's, it's very static, but this, this, third channel of story happens in the reader's mind as they synthesize the words and the pictures and they kind of fill in those gaps between the panels. And that doesn't exist anywhere except in the reader's mind. And I think in that same way, this third authorial voice that isn't Phil and isn't me, that exists only in this book, only in the way that this story is being told. It's neither mine nor his. Um, and, and when you do it really well and when it gets going really well, there are sometimes things that you can't remember whose idea that was. And that's kind of fun. Well, I, I mean, I, uh, I'm, I'm probably a different sort of uh, reader for this, but I just really sense that energy between between the two of you, but also I'm just amazed at how how much backstory is jam-packed between uh, in that third channel. Yeah. Be, be, the backstory and all the research and knowledge that is hidden uh, behind your concise dialogue. It's really amazing to me. And I like the way at the beginning you set up all these alternatives and... Uh, fables and myths about Amazons at the beginning, so that we've all all the readers have those alternatives in their minds too, and and the depth of that is is quite astounding to me, but I think it really adds to the um, to the experience of of readers who don't even know anything about the history of the myth. They can sense how much of a a panoramic story there is behind all your work into this. It's, Astounding. So the thing we wanted to do with that first page was, I'm going to interrupt myself, I'm the worst at this. I'll start three sentences and then go back and pick a fourth one to finish. Um, but the idea was that this would be, this would be like a history book that the, the Amazons were writing for a young Amazon. So the, the, the reader in our minds is the young Amazon learning her history. Um, and so there's a couple things that does. One is it centers the woman reader, right? And that's, that's a particular choice. Um, and in, in doing that, we're not assuming a male default, right? Which is so much of our culture. Um, and we invite men to read the book. Men are welcome to read the book. We love to have men read the book. Um, but we're, We're addressing the young Amazon. And then the other thing that that 
first page does, and there are no images on the first page, and it's particularly striking because the rest of the book is so richly rendered. But the, the idea was very literally tabula rasa. So you think you know the history of the Amazons, but history is written by the victors. And in this case, in, in the war between the Amazons and the world of men, the Amazons lost. And so the histories that we've all read were written by the men. Absolutely, yes. And so there, and, and there's a line in there that says there is, there's no objective history. Yes. Um, but you've read theirs, and this one is ours. Uh, and I think that that is, and I'm, and I'm interested in your thoughts on this as well, because of because you've spent so much of your life looking into our history. And I make the argument that we don't look into the history, in, into history just to look into history. We look into history for relevance in yes. the present. We're looking for lessons to learn, mistakes not to repeat, things that we've forgotten that we shouldn't have. Right? Like we're we're looking to enrich today. Continuity. Yeah. Yeah. We need the continuity. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, I guess that is what I'm always looking for. Um, um you you must have done a lot of reading before you uh before you actually started to write. Um were you did you read any of the ancient sources like Herodotus? Yeah. Yeah, I figure you do. Yeah. Um that's that's going to be one. That was going to be one of my books that I would send with you on the desert island. But now I'm thinking maybe you've already read the whole. Oh no! Thing. But could, I'm ta <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> but I I love reading Herodotus, and every time I read it, I find something new. I mean, I actually do like history for its own sake too, because I'm I have all since I was a a child really obsessed with well what what really happened? What was it really like? Trying to yeah. cast yourself back into into history. So, um, but I really like the way you started with just this black void uh, with these stark white questions and uh, things that people think they know about Amazons. And it's certainly true about Victor's writing the um, get to write the history. And yet, if you think about, it, there are some cases where uh, losers still write the history. For instance, Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta. Um, Athens lost the war. Sparta won. Yeah. But Sparta didn't write anything. Yeah. About <laughs> yes. it. Uh, Spartans didn't. They're the victors and went yeah. on to um, uh, their society, then collapsed, and the losers um, became what really looms large in our idea of, of antiquity. So it's not always true that if you lose, your story gets lost. Now, it doesn't always happen, and that's. I think that's true about the Amazons, thanks to Greek males' ambivalence and fascination yeah. and horror and admiration for strong women. I mean, this is something that just obsessed them. They surrounded themselves with stories and images of strong, athletic, powerful, formidable women. And, and that is why we know part of the story of who of the Amazons. So it's their it's their own uh, mixed feelings that that kept the story alive in some way. So we have to thank them for yes. that. <laughs> yeah. I, I am really smitten. You you open the Amazons 
the history book um, with uh, Atalanta. Oh, she's the one. Um, she's the one about want to be Amazon. In fact, I think she should be an honorary Amazon. Um, yeah. yeah, she's uh, she's really powerful. Um, and you know, the first time I heard that name was in the seventies when I was a kid. Um, there was uh, uh, Marlo Thomas did this series called Free to Be You and Me. And she rolled... Oh, I remember the title. Yes. Yeah, she retold the story of Atalanta, like as a children's tale. Because um, a yeah. lot of her work was on gender equity. Um, yes. And, uh, and, and Atalanta's story is, is really wonderful. And I, I love the, the switch at the end when... She actually gets off and gets to go off and live happily ever after with her chosen mate. Yeah, and they're so in love; they're having sex uh, near uh, one of Aphrodite's shrines or sanctuaries, and Aphrodite changes them into lions, and they're transformed into lions as punishment for. <laughs> For having sex, and I was thinking, well, that just sounds like paradise. I know. And now they get to be lions forever, hunting together, and we know lions do hunt in pairs yeah. sometimes. Uh, and so I, I just really, I was so struck by this. Is uh, all the scholars uh, and myth, uh, scholars of myth uh, and classicists have said, well, look at this punishment. This, uh, you know, she, she. Uh, She's sweet, is changed into a lion along with her lover for the rest of eternity. And I'm thinking, well, that's... Yeah, don't throw me in that briar like patch. That's the best thing that could happen <laughs> yes. to them. That's like a reward. Um, so so I, I really end, I ended with that. And, um, uh, I, I think uh, it's really interesting that she, she is this sort of force of, e of equality within Greek culture. She is Greek. She's a Greek woman. Mm -hmm who is, has a lot of characteristics of the Amazons, who were foreign barbarian women, mm. which is why, of course, they have to be defeated, because you can't have the greatest heroes of Greek myth uh, not defeating foreign sure. forces, yeah. foreign powers. So, uh, so of course, the males are going to win. But that's the other thing that really struck me in, in researching Amazon-like women in other cultures mm -hmm. in, of antiquity, the script is so different than, than the ancient Greek script with the Amazons, where where the the greatest heroes have to fight these uh, warrior women, and they of course overcome them, and they're they're almost equally matched, and yet the Greek men have to not only defeat them but kill them. Um, it's really grim and bleak, and yet they are foreign women, and they're formidable, yeah. uh, powerful. Uh, forces that have to be uh, they actually show they, the, the Greek uh, champions then show how brave they are but in all the other stories the script is different They're, once again the, uh, the Amazon or the warrior woman and the, the male that she's going to have combat with they're, they're so equally matched uh, they're such uh, equal adversaries that they fight for days mm -hmm. without anyone winning and they finally realize, and this happens in per Persian stories, Egyptian stories, Central Asian stories, Caucasian stories, and even Chinese stories. They're so perfectly matched that they decide, well, we're, we, should be, we should be companions. And they, go, they make a truce. Sometimes they become lovers, 
Um, and then they go off uh, to fight other uh, enemies together mm -hmm. for the rest of uh, the epic poem or, or whatever the, the story is, which really reminds me of what happened to Atalanta. Mm -hmm. She and her uh, chosen mate become lions who now go off and, and hunt on their own. Um, and I was always struck by the fact that in all these non-Greek stories, the script is so much more satisfying yes. and exhilarating. Well, and I, and I think that there's another, like this dovetails for me with what you're talking about with, you know, we, we want equality. Like, I, I personally, I don't like the idea of the all-female utopia. Like the the idea that the Themyscira is by dint of being all women going to be this place of perfect peace with an absence of conflict, right? And and I think when we put women on a pedestal, we actually diminish women. Um, it's further othering. You subtract half of their yeah. You, you subtract uh, yes, exactly half of their <laughs> exactly. Real life. Yeah. And um. Yes. Well, who made up that story? And men made up that story. Kind of, men made up that story. <laughs> this is so hard because I have like six different directions I want to go with this. But um, one is the discussion that you have in your book about um, the misunderstanding of yeah. the origin of the term Amazon, right? That it, it not being against men. Right. Um, but it being coming from equals of men. Yes, equals. Yes. Um, yes. And in that same way, you know, I I think sometimes we can have this conversation where we're, and this is a, I don't know royal we of culture um, that that somehow in in saying that we should not be less than we leap to we are somehow more than. And neither one of those things is actually liberating. Um, it's, a, it's a different kind of shackle is all. Yeah, I, I've all, I'm, I'm always trying to gently dissuade people from uh, getting absorbed into this, uh, the matriarchy, utopia, and the goddess, goddess studies. Uh, the world would be so much better without men um, of course male and female is a spectrum as we know and yes that's a so whole other thing other, too, right? i mean it just yeah. uh it just ig ignores and erases and eclipses so many important facets of mm -hmm. of, of real life so um i know uh that's often what matriarchy theory or this sort of utopian Women-only society is what draws a lot of people into studying Amazons or, or gender studies in antiquity, but I think it should drop away. Uh, I really can't believe that this theory that was started in like 1870 by a German male, this matriarchy <laughs> thing, um, Bachoffen's matriarchy studies, uh, and then of course taken up by uh, uh, Gimbuta, the, the female um, uh, archaeologist Gimbutas, but it's uh, there's just no proof for it, and we don't need it. Like you say, it's a way. It's it's cutting off a whole uh, uh, 
part of the world. And even yeah. Plato knew that when he said any any society that uh, doesn't grant doesn't uh, grant equality to women is is only working at half uh, half speed. Or, yeah. um, he actually says they would be silly and stupid to do that. It's <laughs> incredible that Plato would say yeah. this. Yeah. Um, he actually, in his ideal world, it, you know, his ideal republic, which is uh, his ideal for how, how Greece should be, mm -hmm. he knows about the mythology from Herodotus, and he knows about the real Scythian nomads who, who whose lifestyle did have uh, relatively egalitarian uh, lifestyle for both men and women, and that boys and girls were taught uh, the same uh, same writing and, and shooting skills. And he actually says, well, we, we Greeks should do that too. We, we should train the women to be exactly as skilled and competent and confident and able to defend uh, our society as the men. It would be stupid not to. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you have someone like Plato saying that in <laughs> fourth century BC Greece and then not very many classical scholars even realize that. It's just astounding to me that uh, the the blind the blindness, uh, deliberate blindness to to all this acknowledgement in even in ancient Greece yeah. that there should be parity between the sexes. I mean, I think that it's just such a it, it's one of those things that's treated like oh well, of course you know, like of course women aren't as strong as men. Of course women were the gatherers, um, you know, and, and so on and so forth. And of course, and even because women are true. mothers, of course they're more gentle. And, yeah. Um, it, and even the hunter-gatherer, have you read the uh, most recent discoveries, archaeological uh, discoveries in Peru and uh, even in California, South America, in the, in the um, hunter-gatherer societies, the graves that they have found yeah. of... 9,000 years ago, they were talking about hunter-gatherers, and, you know, the stereotype is the, the women gathered and the men hunted. Not true. No longer true. That has yeah. been completely overturned because of the graves that they have found of female huntresses uh, with their weapons, and it's big game weapons, uh, for, for not only for big game for food, but for trophies. Yeah. So that's over. I mean, obviously, if you have a small society living in a harsh uh, um, landscape and, you know, really rigid, uh, rigidly defined uh, um, sex roles, you're not going to succeed. You have to, you have to, if someone's a good hunter, they get to lead the hunting party, of course, because you've got to survive. It's just logical. Yeah. So. Well, and I, I mean, when we, yeah. yeah. When we think about where we are today, right, and our world is faced with so many challenges from environmental challenges to the return of global populism to, I don't know, we're on the brink of another world war, like it's, and we continue to marginalize people by gender and by race and limit their ability to contribute. And it's foolish. It's like opting to have a cancer. Like you've decided that these cells yeah. can't contribute to the 
well-being of the right. whole. Like it's uh, it's amazing. It it would be like using half of your body. Yeah. Never, you know, just cutting off half of your body the, of the of a society. It's 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 amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I remember my mother when I was a little kid. My mother was always saying to me, "You know, in the future, people are going to be astounded that that men ran things because they had brute strength, that they were stronger." But of course, that's what's so cool about the Amazons is that they had equalizers. They had the horses, mm -hmm. and I have no doubt that it was the women who first domesticated the horses and decided to ride them, and uh, and they also invented this bow. So you combine horseback riding and archery, then the diff the physical differences are erased. Yeah, the the so. I've seen you um, uh, post share some of the work of the like Mongolian archers and. Uh, oh, it's, that's incredible <laughs> stuff. And there's also it's so I, exhilarating. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, there's stuff that I, there's a, an area of research I haven't had the time to get into like I'd like to, but there there is an area of research that suggests that th this idea that women are smaller and not as strong is also a like that is a reality because of a kind of cultural darwinism right that that there's no advantage to our being smaller and not as strong but that this is a as we have basically bred ourselves to be this way for, you know um uh well you have to think of a ninja think of ninjas uh, i mean ninjas are not big hulks yeah for instance and they're very effective uh yeah that's it's it's really it's really interesting we're going to take a brief break here to hear from a sponsor, but when we come back, we're going to be stranded on a desert island. Good thing we've packed a couple of good books. Hi, I'm Carrie Mayer, author of the national best-selling book, The Paris Bookseller. So I'm not just a writer, I'm an avid reader. And since Always Authors is sponsored by Bookfinity, I wanted to tell you a little bit more about it. Bookfinity is a website that is built by readers for readers, so you can get personalized book recommendations, create and share your book lists, review books, and refer friends to earn rewards. You start by taking a quick quiz to discover your reader type, and once you complete the quiz, you'll be taken to your My Bookfinity account. I took the quiz and got my reader type. I am a heroin addict, which is so accurate because I do love strong female leads. Now when I log into my Bookfinity account, I will get personalized book recommendations based on my reader type. Bookfinity also has a like it or lose it function, so I can quickly like the books that I'm interested in or lose the ones that I'm not. And it has a unique review system that goes beyond a star rating. I love that I can review a book based on how it made me feel and recommend it to others. To get started, visit bookfinity.com and take the reader type quiz and create your personalized account today. We love that Always Authors supports independent booksellers everywhere. On this episode, we'd like to give a shout out to the Book Rack in Oak Harbor, Washington. Their mission is to provide a means to connect non-digitally with yourself or with others through the magic of books, games, and hobbies. What a great mission. Well, I already mentioned uh, Herodotus, and I, 
I suspect that you've read a lot of Herodotus, but if I was going to a desert island, I would take Herodotus, and so I'm going to send uh, the full uh, works of Herodotus along with you. He's just got so many astounding characters, and he has such curiosity, and I just feel like that uh, that would suit you. Um, so I'm I'm recommending uh, Herodotus in your backpack. Um, the other two books I was going to suggest uh, are kind of strange. One of them is by uh, Gustave Flaubert. Okay. Uh, Salambo, which I just sort of rediscovered. I read it when I was 14, and it's about uh, Carthage, and it's... Uh, was written by Flaubert after Madame Bovary was uh, banned and censored. And so he then turned to something even more sensational and lurid, uh, the story of a priestess of Moloch or Baal, uh, to which the Carthaginians dedicated their children, sacrificed their children. And it is so sensational and lurid and bizarre that I think you would really enjoy it. Um, it got a lot of uh, criticism because it seems to um, make the Carthaginians into the other, uh, monstrous others, and yet he did un incredible research the way I think you did. He read everything he could about ancient Carthage, and of course everyone says that the only important thing about Carthage is that they were defeated by the Romans. So once again, here it is, uh, uh, someone trying to find out what the losers, Carthage, uh, were really like. And so I recommend that. And it has uh, some versions have some uh, sensational uh, illustrations by Malan Blaine, who was a very mysterious author who also did pornography. So Hey, we brought uh, it what, full circle. <laughs> what, <laughs> full circle. Uh, it would be cool to find out what you think of it. I mean, I read this when I was 14, and it was my introduction to ancient history, believe it or not, which I, I think might explain a lot uh, about me. Because going back to it, I'm just uh, astounded. The other one is uh, by Bernard Werber, and it's uh, a French book that's translated into English called Empire of the ants. Ooh. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I've not. But it is uh it's like an epic, uh Homeric epic, but it's about ants. Uh and it, there is a uh young female warrior ant. And she has to deal with like poison beetles and uh vicious termites and savage birds and and then uh humans. So oh, wow. I recommend uh The Empire of the Ants. Now of course those are my three books, but um, I also hope you have in your backpack just uh, this book called uh, Worst Case Survival Handbook. <laughs> um, it's got, I think it, the full title is Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Um, and it's actually, you know, for being uh, in a survival situation. So it's how to escape quicksand and wrestle alligators. Oh, yeah. All that stuff. I think my son uh, has that book, actually. So. Everything that could go wrong, you'll, you'll just naturally have that one along. There so you those go. Are, those are the books I'm um, recommending for Desert Island. Okay. Um, oh, my gosh. All right. So there's a, a crazy coincidence happening here that um, in, in book two of uh, uh, Historia, which I think will be out by the time this airs, so I'm going to feel free to uh, spoil something, um, 
the first, um, oh no, it's not book two. It's book three. Oh, well, um, it, 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 uh, here's a spoiler for book three. But when the gods declare war on the Amazons, the first salvo is uh, Heracles. And, um, and when he comes to challenge the Amazons, we have a whole thing where he, when he steps out of his chariot, he, he, he steps on an ant and he kills an ant and you see like, we're, we're, and then, and then he takes his sword and he plunges it into the earth. And when he does it, it makes all of these lines in the, underneath the, the ground and it, it sort of sends these messages to these ants. And then he, he calls out and uh, one of the Amazons to face him because he thinks he's sort of going to battle them all one-on-one and in it's it's so Antiope is down to face him and it's it's Hippolyta who realizes we don't have to play by his rules and so all of the Amazons come and face him at once and of course even though he is this tremendous warrior who's like literally twice their size he's one and at the same time that there's a parallel narrative, so you're watching this happen at the same time you're watching this um, <laughs> uh, praying mantis has picked up uh, an ant and bit its head off, but then as that ant is dying, that ant sends the signal to the other ants and, the, and all of those ants come in. And so when you see the Amazons kind of devour Heracles, the ants devour the uh, praying mantis. So, and of course, ants ants are all female. Yes. <laughs> so I am going to get myself a copy of The Empire of the Ants right now. So I'm very excited okay. about that. Um, so I, uh, my, my choices for you are um, a bit more uh, uh, tongue in cheek, unfortunately, um, <laughs> because honestly, I am intimidated by the idea of curating books for you. So I went instead with the desert island idea. And um, if you are... Um, the, you know, the, the idea of the, the desert island is if you didn't have anything else you had to tend to, right? So I have, like, if you had nothing else in your life that you had obligations to and you could just kind of explore, well, um, uh, I've chosen for you a, cl- a collection of uh, encyclopedias um, because uh, I think that would be handy for you as you were kind of yes. deciding what what new aspects of interest would you want to go through? Um, I've also decided um, that even though you are on a desert island, you're not, they, they can reach you. There's a plane that goes overhead. So I've gotten you a subscription to Popular Mechanics. Oh, yeah. Because I know that you've also written about robotics and what and what the idea of robotics is and what that means and sort of culturally and i i think you'd be interested in keeping up on what's going on with that and maybe trying to do a little bit of robotic building for <laughs> yourself on your island um and then also um i've selected for you linda berry's work oh, and in particular yes. linda berry's work on storytelling which i'm going to say also comes with a sketchbook and a pen <laughs> Because I would like to see Linda Berry has a, an absolute belief that we can all draw, that we are all cartoonists, and in 
in allowing ourselves to think and tell our stories and pictures, we're opening up different parts of our brains. And as your brain astonishes and delights me, um, I like the idea of what kind of comics you might make. That is, once again, you have chosen something very serendipitous that you did not know this about me, but before I ever began writing, I was a printmaker, artist making. I read ancient Greek texts as fuel for my artwork. And so I was making etchings of Amazons fighting griffins and Amazons setting off to war. Ah. <laughs> and so and uh and I had a printing studio in my in my house when I uh, I sold my etchings in Washington DC and Ithaca, New York, and then I just gave it all up in order to write instead. So I didn't feel like I had enough um, angst to be an artist. So I was just illustrating. And so I thought, well, I was telling stories in my art, and now I'm going to do it on paper. So I actually uh, have made drawings of, of Amazon. So I, But I love Linda Berry. So this will stimulate me to take it up again. <laughs> I love it. This makes me very happy. Thank you Thank for you. these three book ideas, and I love them. Thanks. I'm literally going to order Empire of the Ants. Well. <laughs> I hope you like it. I, no doubt I will. <laughs> I want to come back for a second to uh, the idea of the, the, the inventor of Wonder Woman um, was also a proponent of, I mean, he had a lot of like <laughs> that shit theories, to be quite honest with you. Like, this is what, you know, just knowing that makes me nervous about Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I mean, his whole thing was that women should be in charge of everything. And and, and he had like a real fondness. Bondage problem. He had a bondage <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but it was the like, that thing that like, you know, the thing that just makes me see, like a pedestal is another kind of box, right? That, 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 yes. um, uh, this like, oh, women should be the gentle authority and they should dominate everything. And, and, you know, and, but what that does is that, like, you can't say women are this way any more than you can say men are this way. We are as varied exactly. as our numbers. It's um, like the spectrum we were talking about. There. Yes. It's completely, uh, holistic in a spherical way. It's not even a spectrum. It's not just a circle. The spectrum is a circle, of course, um, but it's uh, it just denies the whole holistic uh, reality of of human beings. It's but as you say, we've had a sort of reverse Darwinism yeah. going on. Um, but saying that women should be the gentle authorities on everything and the um, the benevolent dominatrix and that all this uh, weirdo stuff that he had, but he's not the only one in superhero comics. I mean, all the Superman and Batman comics also had weird bondage fetishes, if you look. look oh, yeah. Them. Oh, and, yeah. and actually, one of the, uh, <laughs> there's a whole secret life that uh, one of the creators of uh, Superman had doing bondage comics. That's, it's, yeah. that's its own. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if comics lends itself to that. You know, know, and like no kink shaming, but uh, but but I think when we get into a, like our theories of uh, 
when we start getting into the actual permissions of what, what women are allowed to do in our culture, maybe, maybe yeah. put that away. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. but I, I, one of the things that I am a little worried about going forward with this book, and I'm not really worried to overstates it more. It's more like I'm just kind of girding myself. Yeah. Um, it's an obstacle. Yeah. The, the thing that made me want to do this book was, you know, so I had, I had had this fascination when I was quite young. Um, it's always been a part of my life and my thinking, but I kind of got away from it. And then I had a reaction to the 2016 election um, where I was kind of walking around in a little bit of a, a haze for a couple of days. Uh, and I couldn't quite identify what I was feeling and at some point I realized, I was like, oh, I'm grieving. I'm grieving, you know, what I thought was going to be. Yeah. I'm grieving some naive ideas I had about the country that we are. I am, I'm grieving. I'm, I'm, I've had a loss and I am grieving my loss. And so then in my head, I was like, okay, so what do you do with grief? And I remembered like a poster I had seen in college that was Robert Kennedy talking about how when his brother died that he turned to Aeschylus. And so I was like, well, I, I, I guess when you're grieving, you go to the Greeks. I don't know. I mean, like literally this was my thought process. And so I kind of escaped into ancient literature for a while trying to, to deal with that grief. And then I found myself at about the time that I got the call from DC Black Label saying, you know, would you like to do a book with us? Um, uh, I found myself wanting, like craving a Homerian epic centered around a woman. Yes. And so when I did do this pitch, I pitched it, I pitched it actually for nine books. So it's pitched to be a gigantic project because these are nine 64-page books. Homeric. Right? So I like, Homeric. Was, yes, I was going all in on Epic, yes. right? Um, and they've only approved three so far, but so I'm, I'm pushing to get to all nine. Good. But we've got three is in, two has gone to press, three is in production. And this is all centered not around Diana, although Diana's obviously a really important character, but it's centered around Hippolyta. right. Hippolyta as the Homerian hero. Yeah. But one of the things about these epics is they are not perfect people. Oh no. And no. they make they make difficult choices. And you know, I I did some reading on uh, Martha Nussbaum talking about tragedy in a way that really resonated with me, where she talked about how, you know, you you as a modern human being may not have to make the choice between sacrificing your daughter or your army, but you will at some point have to make a choice between two terrible options, right. um, two things where you don't win. And it doesn't have to be on that scale, right. but maybe it's you get to be there for the opening night of your daughter's play, or you attend a very important meeting for your job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are no win situations in life. You don't always make super nerd reference here, but you don't, you don't always get to Kobayashi Maru, right? <laughs> like you can't just cheat and change the rules. Um, and that really, and I don't know if it's because I'm in my fifties now. And I think at this point in your life, you sort of em 
race complexity. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but as we go on, Hippolyta is going to have to make some very difficult choices. And she already has, of yes. course, in this first book. Yeah. And of course, um, I mean, if you think about the Greek heroes, they're not good guys. I mean, they're, they, they're not, they may be heroes because of their uh, war skills and or Odysseus because of his underhanded skills, and, mm-hmm. um, but that, and they. I, the other thing that really struck me is that these heroes. When I really started looking at the hero, trying to compare uh, Amazon heroines to uh, Greek heroes, uh, both have heroic, heroic lives. But it turns out that the Amazons in all the myths, they there's no, no Amazon dies of old age. Um, they all die young and beautiful, <laughs> which is what every they do. There are no old Amazons um, in the myths, and and you never hear of them uh, um, dying in any other way except in battle and face to face combat. And they never they're never shown gesturing for mercy. Um, they're always running toward uh, danger. They're they're um, they're very heroic. And dying young and beautiful is in combat, face-to-face combat, is exactly what every Greek hero desires and is seeking, and not one of them achieves it. I mean, Achilles mm-hmm. is shot from, behi- from behind in the back of his, his foot with, uh, with probably a poison arrow. He does not get to face his attacker. He dies ignominiously be- because of that. Um, Odysseus is uh, killed by a uh, a son that he didn't even know he had, who accidentally kills Odysseus with a stingray spike, and Odysseus is an old man, a Jason of Jason and the Argonauts. He he gets old and he's taking a nap uh, next to the rotting ship that he you know had all these glorious adventures in the Argo, and and a beam from the from the rotting ship hits him on the head and he dies. An old man in that uh, really humiliating way. Um, Theseus, the founder of Athens, he's pushed off a cliff by another old man. I mean, <laughs> none of them die in a heroic way. So the, they're tragic figures in that way. Um, so not only do they have personal flaws, but they don't even achieve the heroic ideal that they seek. Yeah. So the Greeks are really into uh, into tragedy and... Um, uh, sort of character flaws and fate. Fate uh, causes you to make uh, or cause, pushes you into corners that uh, were not of your own choosing. Yeah. I love, I've ne- I'd never noticed that. I never put that together. I uh, hadn't noticed it either until I started um, trying to figure out what is so heroic about Amazons. How they get to achieve this heroic ideal. It's interesting in that it, sort of furthers the framing of them as a male fantasy though, right? Like that it's... Yeah, they are noble heroes um, in a way that their own heroes... uh, Of course, they want to... They're foreigners, so they can do whatever they want with these barbarians. Anyone who doesn't speak Greek is a barbarian. Right, right. Um, Amazon Amazons are not Greek women. A lot of people don't realize that that Amazons were were thought of as foreign women, uh, powerful enemies, but foreign. Yeah, there's a um, you know there's really some 
messy thinking in Historia that we we couldn't. I, I did a little bit of just like finger waving, like it's a comic book, you know. But um, I I just didn't want. I I wanted to to represent women worldwide and like in all different kind of body types and expressions in the Amazons so that Yeah, that was well done. There was they were very diverse. Uh yeah, it 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 and there's also there's a your work is is uh, directly uh we, we didn't get the pointy hats in, but um <laughs> but there are there are Scythian uh tattoos. Um uh yes. and on a lot of the the uh the Amazon figures, but um but yeah, our our kind of finger waving of that was that uh, the souls that are pulled from the well are women who died at the hands of men in, in violence, and that those souls would come from all over the world, so that the the Amazons could manifest in all of these different ways, and then because. Many of the seventh tribe Amazons, who are the the mortal Amazons, uh, or the Amazons that were born human, um, they a lot of them were taken from uh, slave caravans, so they could have been captured foreigners, so that we were able to have a kind of nice inclusion. And of course, there are you know strong women warrior uh, stories all around the world. Yes. Um, so that that is, that is a not only timeless but universal. And I know I know we need to wrap this um, up. And I could literally continue talking to you for days. There's so many things I've enjoyed this so much. Um, oh, me too. Yay! Um, and we wanted to be able to. We wanted to be able to. It, it, I kind of like I'm trying to have my cake and eat it too with this book in that I am, you know, as a Westerner, um, I feel relatively comfortable um, uh, appropriating Western culture and like, you know, <laughs> reworking all of these myths um, uh, because this is, you know, this is the tradition of my people. I'm not taking from other people. But in but like I'm trying to both to have my cake and eat it too in that I'm doing that in this kind of Western tradition and in the DC tradition, which is, you could, you could argue, the mythology of my own people, but um, uh, also inviting in these physical representations of other cultures to sort of underline that a lot of this is really universal. Yeah, it's um, well done. I hope you're going to, I hope you're going to do nine books because that, <laughs> that would be fabulous. Yes. Well, thank you. I hope so too. And you've met, you have created, you, uh, you and uh, your artist have created a new Hera. And I really think that uh, that's really uh, a triumph of the imagination because she is, I think, the most difficult goddess to like. Yeah. And you have somehow given her uh, so much depth. I, re I really compliment you on that. That's the, the recasting of Hera as a kind of uh, tragic figure on her own, and but extremely powerful in ways that we didn't know. I think it's, it really, uh, I, think it w I think it would have impressed the Greeks. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> Thank you for that. I, I, it's, it was really important to me. I think that if she is the goddess of women, 
the idea that she is um, this sort of jealous and petty hag. It's really uh, tedious. <laughs> it's, it's, it is. It's diminishing. Yes. Um, and but remember the Greek gods up in Olympus are, were sort of like soap operas for the Greeks. I yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well, it's time for her to have her face turned. Yes. So, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, this has been fabulous. Well, Thank you so much for inviting me. It has me. been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for listening. Please visit alwaysauthors.com to learn about upcoming episodes, to read a transcript of this episode, to buy the books discussed here, and for more information about our sponsors, bookfinity.com and Buxton Books. Always Authors is an exclusive production of Atomic Focus Entertainment. Cheers.